All right, here we go with Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Morning, Keith. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. And I know you were listening to my conversation there with uh, Rob Fleming, the Transportation Minister there, this continuing fight over the Massey Tunnel. So you got Kevin Falcon, the Liberal leader, doubling down again this week in new interviews saying he would cancel this Massey Tunnel, this new Massey Tunnel, go back to his plan. Well, it's interesting, interesting to hear Fleming refute some of Falcon's assertions. So uh, Falcon's saying it's going to take another five years environmental assessment. Fleming on your show just said it's going to be done next year. Are you buying that? Well, that they could sink a concrete tube to the bottom of the Fraser River and it's going to get like a rubber stamp environmental approval? Well, it's, you know, until we it's, right now it's two sides with two completely different uh, views of this assessment process. So yeah. until we see the final answer but if that if that approval comes next year um i think that basically sinks falcon's hopes of building this bridge the other thing um the uh the bridge is gonna the original concept of the liberals plan would according to fleming would have to go through the environmental assessment process again because the plan has to be changed because the port of vancouver has decided the bridge has to be even higher than what was originally envisioned and it's interesting. It's just it's a fascinating argument, though, and it's ne- it seems to be never ending. But I think once it achieves environmental assessment approval, I think that basically puts it in stone. Okay. Well, I did speak to Liberal MLA Ian Payton after I spoke to mm-hmm. Fleming, and I asked him about this environmental thing, like because the Liberals have been saying this thing is going to be an di- environmental disaster; it'll never get approved, or it'll take years. And then you've got Fleming saying, no, no, we'll get an approval on it next year. So I asked the Liberal MLA about that. Here's what he just told me for your thoughts. Maybe in 1959, you'd plunk concrete tubes in the bottom of the Fraser River, but you certainly don't do it nowadays with salmon and sturgeon and all the marine life. It's an environmental nightmare to, to put a massive concrete tube back in the bottom of the Fraser River. Well, I asked Fleming about that, too, and he said, well, you have to do it in stages. You You wouldn't sink the concrete tube into the river while there's migrating salmon going through that area you'd have to speak to the scientists and the mm-hmm. biologists and well yeah <laughs> it's you got a bunch of non-scientists arguing about this these are politicians they're not, not yeah. on either side so we'll see what the environmental assessment process says here i mean there's obviously i mean there are concerns for both both uh, concepts there's yeah. lots of problems with the tunnel potentially there's lots of problems with the bridge potentially yeah. so it's uh it's a uh, not a no win, but whichever option is ultimately uh, prevails here, there's going to be controversy attached to it. Right. So I think if it, the problem is if the project does start to get built, this this new tunnel that the NDP wants to build, could it get past the point of no return, exactly. as they say before yeah. Falcon would have a chance to reverse it? That's assuming he becomes he wins the next election. Yeah, that, which is a big with, assumption. Yeah. Um, yeah, there is a point of no return yeah. at some point, just like we saw with the Site C Dam. Yeah. You know, the NDP opposed it in opposition, yeah. saying they'd scrap it. Well, they come in, nope, it's going to continue to be built because it had reached the point of no return. Okay, there's another fresh fight on this thing, too, with the uh, municipality of Delta and their complaints that, look, we want this highway overpass over Highway 99, or else it's going to be traffic gridlock for our commuters here. They say it would cost $40 million to build that overpass. I asked Fleming about that, the transportation Mm -hmm. minister. He said it's on the table, not ruling it out. Forty million, though. I'm already hearing some no, some I, suggestions could be a lot more expensive. I than checked that. with transportation yesterday about other interchanges. What what they cost? The Steveston interchange, yeah. which is part of this tunnel project, uh, hundred million dollars. The uh, Keating, the Mackenzie um, uh, interchange over here in uh, Victoria, 
I think was in excess of $100 million. There's a Keating Crossroad on on the Pat Bay Highway, which is going to be about $90 million. So it seems to be about double what the Delta estimate. But nevertheless, uh, Fleming, to you, said it's not off the table here. I think it's quite conceivable it's going to be part of this project uh, down the road. Okay, uh, that's when we continue to follow, and it's just, like you said, it's a never-ending battle there. Let's uh, talk about the announcement yesterday from the government on rental protecting rental housing. So, Premier David Eby announcing that five hundred million dollar uh, project here for nonprofits to buy up threatened rental stocks. So, here's what he had to say, and then I'll get your thoughts. Increasingly, we're seeing activity across Canada and in British Columbia of large international corporations buying up rental buildings, speculating to uh, earn investment income on homes that people count on affordable rents uh, and uh, in communities where people need to live. Uh, they're called uh, real estate investment trusts. So he wants nonprofits to step in here, buy up these buildings instead, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. The government putting up 500 million bucks to do it. Your thoughts? Yeah, so this money's coming from the surplus, which is a huge surplus this year, uh, about $6 billion. And we, you and I have talked about how are they going to spend it. Well, here's the, one of the first indications how they're going to spend it. $500 million, one-time spending, goes into a fund managed by an independent board of directors, not by the government. Um, and this will be used to basically allow these uh, organizations to buy some of these, these r- rental places. Now, some of the questions yesterday from the media were interesting, uh, pointing out that the, the complex in which he stood in front announcing this cost about $120 million or $130 million. That was for one project. So how far does $500 million take you yeah. in Metro Vancouver particularly? Yeah. So I'm going to probably buy a lot of property. Uh, secondly, um, what's to prevent a corporation from bidding against some of these uh, nonprofits and perhaps jacking up the cost yeah. in a bidding war. So, but these are unanswered questions. Um, it's a, it's a, a new approach. No one knows how it's necessarily going to work, but I think it's, you know, all things considered, when you've got a huge surplus like this, it's worth taking a chance, I think, on some novelty programs just to see if, it's, if this is actually works. Because it can be topped up in subsequent fiscal years if it actually proves to be effective. It's if funny. it doesn't work... Well, it doesn't work. It's funny how these dollar figures start to lose their impact when you start thinking about the the price of Metro Vancouver real estate. Because when you first hear that, you think, oh, wow, half a billion dollars, this is huge. But then you think, well, wait a sec, how many buildings can they yeah. buy for $500 million? Uh, let me play Peter Millobar, Liberal MLA. He had a lot of questions about this on the show today. Here's what he had to say. I'll get your thoughts. The Premier has had literally almost three years now as the housing minister slash Premier uh, to think on ideas that he would like to do to impact housing. Why was there so little detail with this uh, type of a proposal yesterday? I understand he didn't necessarily know if he had dollars up until a few days ago. Uh, certainly he should have had enough time to think on how a program like this could work if he was ever fortunate enough to have dollars to implement. Okay, well, like you said, the money was, it sounds like they, they're sitting on a pile of money. Huge over. amount of money. Um, and we're going to see more spending announcements. Yeah. Uh, and one, these are going to be one-time spending announcements because they don't want to carry over, sort of embed a new cost into the bottom line because you have to pay for it every year. So this is a one-time fund that uh, is paid out in this fiscal year and managed by an independent board. And, you know, Millibar is right. There's not a lot of details uh, attached to this, but we'll just have to see how it works. Yeah, like he had a lot of, I thought, really good questions. He said, well, how many housing units are we talking about preserving here? There was no estimate on that yesterday. Yeah, Evie was asked asked about this. How many units are we talking? He wouldn't give a definitive number, but he said thousands. So now that could be as little as 2,000. 
Yeah. Or it could be more <laughs> than that. Um, but um, the reality is when it comes to building housing in Metro Vancouver, it's going to cost a lot of money, whether it's building or buying existing properties. The other thing is, and you touched on this and the, the Liberal MLA brought it up as well, saying like, look, you're talking about a cutthroat real estate market here. Now you're saying, well, let's let these nonprofits go out and buy these buildings too. Well, what if you get into some sort of bidding war with some yep. big corporation? They start jacking up the price. What if the seller is saying like, look, I want to sign, I'm ready to sell here. I'm not going to be waiting around for some nonprofit to get approval from a board. Evie was asked that yesterday. He didn't really have an answer to that. Yeah. It's basically, let's let's see how this unfolds. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's almost an experimental thing that's going on here. And the reality is, as we say, if you're dealing with real estate, you're going to have to start attaching a bunch of zeros to the price figure yeah. because it's so expensive. Baldry's B phone lines are open 604-280-9898 star 9898 on your cell. Chris and Ladner. Hi, Chris. Hi, guys. Hey, Keith, I was absolutely gobsmacked when you said our surplus was $6 billion. Instead of being a politician and announcing all these spending uh, um, propositions, why don't they act like a businessman and put that $6 billion toward our BC national debt? My, so my question to you, Keith, yep. is, do you have any idea what our BC debt is? Because six billion dollars would go a long way to paying that off. Well, it's a lot more than six billion, so it's seventy. Checking it now, <laughs> seventy-five billion, I think. Um, so here's the way it works: if uh, six billion dollars, yeah, if if and it's probably going to be more than six billion because there's a lot of or unallocated it grew, money. It grew by six billion in yeah. 2021, 22. Yeah, so it's. Um, there's also contingency funds and forecast allowance, which could make that number even bigger. So the way the law works in BC, if the government doesn't spend that surplus before the end of the fiscal year, it doesn't allocate it by March 31st, by law, it goes towards the debt. It does pay down the debt. Now, there was an interesting situation back in 2017. Mike DeYoung proudly showed a $2.5 billion uh, surplus on the eve of the election and refused to spend it on anything. Just said it's yes. going to go against the debt. Right. Um, liberals, in retrospect, thought what a, that was a dumb decision because they could have relieved some of the affordability pressure on people. They yeah. could have given money back to taxpayers. Yeah. And instead, they put it against the debt, which has no political impact. There's no bang for your buck there. <laughs> no. So look for the this government is going to spend some of that surplus, but some of it's going to be a, go against the debt. I don't know how much. But I think you're going to probably see a lot of MLAs very busy right now putting together a wish list for their local community organizations. I've heard also perhaps uh, put a lot of money towards research and development in universities, like significant funding for, for projects and such. So some of that surplus is going to be spent and some of it's going to be put against the debt. BC's net provincial debt, $55.8 billion. That sound right? That sounds a little low. Oh, Okay. Well, just the point is that even if you put that entire surplus of the debt, it oh, it, be a drop. Yeah, in, it's you know. a drop in the bucket. Yeah. Um, but it, it'd be good to uh, – the bond agencies would be impressed by some payment towards the debt, and that keeps the credit rating high. Terry in Kelowna. Hi, Terry. Go ahead. How's it going, man? Good. Hey, a uh, couple things. I'm uh, from Burnaby a long time ago. Moved to Kelowna 25 years ago. Um, those bridges down there, I don't know who the knuckleheads were that built those bridges, but those cables and those ice bombs driving down there, but that's just crazy. And if they do put a bridge across, let's uh, learn from those two bridges that we don't do that again. So yeah, so my rant down there. 
Thank good you. point. That point transportation officials have made to me that this, if there was a bridge, as the liberals want to go back, it would be even higher than the original concept, which would have been the highest bridge in British Columbia. Um, and the ice bombs, when Alex Fraser was built and Portman was built, we didn't have ice bombs. Yeah. I mean, it was just unheard of. Right. But now they're a regular feature of every winter, and yeah. that poses the driving hazard. It wasn't there when the bridges were built. That's another argument against the bridge. Yeah, the ice bombs form on those cables, those suspension yep. cables, and they come crashing well, down. And again, crash. a phenomenon we did not even yeah. envision. Alex Fraser Bridge opened, I think, in 86, I think. And uh, this would be the biggest bridge they ever built if they oh, stuck to the liberal plan. Yeah, so you're talking ice bomb Armageddon there, potentially, <laughs> on that bridge. So, Glenn yeah. and Maple Ridge. Hi, Glenn, go ahead. Hey, I just want to I want to say when Horgan and the Liberals were first elected, they were hell-bent on undoing everything that the Liberals had kind of going. Uh, Sight Dam, they really wanted to, they really wanted to bomb that off, but uh, it was obviously too far down the road to do that. So they, they uh, put their sights on the on the bridge that was uh, well underway for uh, environmental studies were done. Uh, Three packs was uh, loaded and it was well underway. They threw a hundred million dollars out. Come up with this tunnel idea you know, so they could have their own spin. I mean, so you I think it's you think it's all politics, right? Yeah, you all think, politics. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think the NDP could have put their own little spin on the bridge if they wanted to. Maybe they said, "Okay, we're only going to make an eight-lane bridge." With well, all right. They could have built. Thank, thank you for the call. They could have built a smaller bridge. But. That was an option. And yeah. I, I mean, that came up. That question came up the day they announced the tunnel. Why, why not have a smaller bridge? Right. Yeah. Problem? And said, well, no, we're going to go the tunnel route. Right. But you know, there's this oft-repeated conspiracy theory. I guess that the only reason they canceled the the Liberals. The Liberals' uh, bridge idea was because it was Christy Clark's bridge, and they yeah. didn't want to give her some sort of trophy and build build her bridge. Yeah. Do you think it really gets down to that kind of petty level? No, I think it's again. If if that had been the case, they would have stopped Site C. They would have stopped a, a bunch of other infrastructure projects. Yeah. That the, all governments, no matter of what political stripe, build infrastructure. They're constantly building things, and governments, if change the government, usually don't stop the building of things. Connie in Vancouver. Hi, Connie. Go ahead. Hi. Um, the NDP will not help any housing until they wake up and ban short-term rentals in strata buildings. I'm like, Vancouver brought in a bylaw, and I, I, don't, I can't remember. I think it was at least 200 strata units yeah. that people were – I'm like, those are hotel rooms, one-bedroom units. They're not zoned as hotels, but the NDP is allowing them to be used as hotels. Thank you, Connie, for that. Yeah, there has been saying like if you yeah. wanted to make a difference instead of banning rental restrictions and, and allowing all condos to be rented out, why don't you ban Airbnb mm-hmm. everywhere in Stratas? Yeah, and that uh, that hasn't really been definitively answered yet. So uh, the housing file has got a lot of moving parts. There's a lot more to come on this. So don't rule out a lot of this stuff happening down the road. There seems to be stuff announced literally every month. Uh, and I think we're going to see more legislation in this spring session. 911.